possibilities now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation or in fact the world ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the meddlesome Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? Uh, good. Meddlesome. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> Would have got away with it if it weren't for those darn kids. <laughs> anyway, uh, folks, we are... Back for another episode after the Thanksgiving. Let me tell you, I don't know about you, Rob, but I am stuffed to the gills with turkey. Oh, my gosh. I can barely reach my desk. My belly is so distended. (laughs) I think I ate a whole cranberry. I mean, turkey. Anyway, um, I just had my second – I just had a second helping of Thanksgiving right before we recorded, so I'm feeling pretty good right now. I'm on on a mashed potato high at the moment. So, anyway, um, folks, we are here to talk about – uh, big news, Aquaman number 25. This is, this is, this is the big time, folks. This is Jeff John's final issue on the character. Hard to believe after, oof, you know, a number of years if you count Brightest Day. And, uh, then following that up, we're going to be talking about Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man number five, classic from 1982. So, um, by the way, I've actually had several people reach out to me and ask me, you know, you know, they can't wait to hear me talk about Doctor Who, the big Doctor Who 20, uh, 50th anniversary special that was on the 23rd. That's not going to happen here, folks. I'm sorry. Simply because Rob would probably find a tall bridge and jump off of it. Um, so if you want to hear me talk about the Doctor Who special, please check out the Two True Freaks Network. Uh, there's a, they have a podcast called The Who True Freaks. I'm on that. I'm a regular on that one. We'll be talking about the... Uh, 50th anniversary special. If you don't have the patience, wait for that because that's a little bit of ways away. Um, check. I'll probably put something out on Firestorm Fan, the, the Facebook page or something or other. I just did a podcast with some friends at the Unique Geek about the 50th anniversary special, and that's already up on YouTube. The downside of that is you got to look at my ugly mug uh, during some of it. So uh, anyway, just want to put that out there. Thank you for your enthusiasm, Who fans, but this is probably not the place for it. 
So now I don't understand why I was used as the reason we didn't do it. Did I show anything less than enthusiasm last episode when you talked about Doctor Who? No, you've you've actually been an incredibly good well, sport. Then, all right, then why am I being cast as the heavy in this particular? Why am yeah. I the Dalek in this situation? <laughs> Look at you! you did your research? Terminate. <laughs> it's just not the right place. It's not Rob's fault. Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah. I'm perfectly now, if okay I had a co yeah. If I had a co-host with taste and watched the show, then we'd do it here. Wow. You like that? It's a little fire and water, a little mixing it up, a little, uh -huh. little, little mixture. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Anyway, in-stock <laughs> trades. That's right. In-stock <laughs> trades, folks, uh, is we'd like to thank them. They're one of our sponsors here at the Fire and Water Podcast. <laughs> the only sponsor here at the Fire and Water Podcast. Yes. Um, so anyway, this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. So oh, check this out. I sat there and kind of scratched my head and said, what should I do? What should I do? You know? Uh, and I thought, well, it's, you know, it's Jeff Johns leading Aquaman. That's kind of a big deal. thought, you know, um, you know, just had my Thanksgiving dinner. Boom. Came to me doing the JLA, JSA, Virtue and Vice soft cover. This is written by David Goyer and Jeff Johns. It's about the JLA and JSA coming together, and they have, uh, I think they have Thanksgiving dinner in this. <laughs> I know they definitely did an issue, but I think this is where it started. Didn't it start for Thanksgiving for this? I don't, I don't know. I think so. If not, we're going to pretend it did. But this was the, the first modern-day teaming up of the JLA and the JSA. Uh, you had, you know, your your Grant Morrison era JLA. You had your Jeff Johns era JSA came together. It was a huge uh, event. It was a nice, beautiful hardcover book. Uh, absolutely gorgeous book. This is the soft cover, so you can get a little bit cheaper. If you haven't read it, it's a great read. Um, it came out in 2002, uh, and I'm just kind of looking at the notes here. Critically acclaimed. I mean, it's it's really great. But this is one two-page spread of both teams together with all the reserve members in it. It just will make your jaw drop. So anyway, um, the art is by a secret artist that I can't tell you about. Why is it not listed here? You've got to be kidding me. Uh, oh, Carlos Pacheco and Jesus Marino. I mean, look at that. Really good artwork in this Stock thing. Stock trade is anyway. really getting its money worth for this ad. <laughs> Sorry, I, I love this book so much. It's, it's one of the... Anyway, uh, it normally goes for seventeen ninety five. You can get it for $9.69. Heck of a bargain. Uh, okay, yeah, my choice this week is, uh, you know, now that this issue, as Shag minted, m mentioned early on, this is an historic issue of Aquaman because it's the end of an era for the character in one way, at least creatively. So I wanted to harken back to something else, uh, to another part of Aquaman that isn't as uh, celebrated, which is the Aquaman sort of Atlantis run. Uh, I definitely had my issues with it at the time. Uh, but I've gone back and, and reread them and found that they're actually pretty good, especially the early ones by Kurt Busiek and Butch Geis, which is the trade we're talking about. Yeah, this is Aquaman, sort of Atlantis, once in future trade paperback. It's, like I said, by Busiek and Geis, 144 pages. The normal price is twelve ninety nine. In stock trade price is seven dollars and one cent. Forty forty six percent off. Um, these are really solid action adventure fantasy stories. Uh, that, you know, sort of take their own version of Aquaman and do something different with it. Again, I'm glad we have classic Aquaman back, but um, th this this is, uh, I think, sort of Atlantis is sort of an unfairly maligned thing. So uh, go back and, if you haven't ever read them, go back and give it a try. And uh, for $7, you can't go wrong. 
Absolutely. By the way, I did a little research before we were talking. Yes, the JLA JSA virtually was, in fact, the uh, Thanksgiving get together. Feel a little better about that. Okay. 96 pages, too. Gorgeous artwork. So, folks, you can find both of those over at In Stock Trades. That is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off. Free shipping for orders of $50 or more. With that, Mr. Kelly. I think it's time to talk about that guy who talks to fish. Yes, it's Aquaman number 25, Death of a King, Chapter 7, Baptism of Fire. By, da, 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 da. by of course, uh, Jeff Johns for the last time, well, at least as far as we know, Paul Pelletier, Sean Parsons, and Rod Reese. Uh, this is the, yes, the concluding chapter of the storyline. Super brief overview, Aquaman and Volko go searching for the scepter, which Aquaman finds buried beneath a whole bunch of treasure that's laying on the uh, ocean floor. He's going to use that scepter to basically fool the trench into following him because they sort of just think that whoever holds the scepter is the ultimate king of Atlantis. So he grabs the scepter, calls the trench. There's a great sequence where the, uh, the, the trench all show up and start approaching Aquaman, and then it cuts to black because we don't exactly know whether uh, they're, going to listen, they're going to fall in line with Aquaman's plan or not. We cover to Atlantis. We see the dead king and Nerys, or Nereus, are not getting along terribly well, but, you know, too bad. Uh, we also see that Mira, <laughs> Mira has been prisoner all this time. She is kept in this cell with no water because, as they point out, that even if she gets a little bit of water, she uses it to kill some of her captors. <laughs> so awesome. Very cool, so badass, awesome. yeah. As they're discussing this, and Mira makes a promise that she's going to kill Nerys if she's given the chance, Aquaman shows up with all the trench behind him. They break in. Mira is freed, and then all hell breaks loose. Aquaman takes on the dead king. Um, it turn, after a short battle, the dead king realizes that all of his Atlanteans have basically turned against him and, and are now backing Aquaman. He says, I've been betrayed. So he decides, well, I'm just going to destroy all of Atlantis. Then to hell with it all. Uh, he's going to, he grabs the scepter. He's about to plunge it into the ground. Aquaman stops him at the last minute, wrests it from his hand in a great full-page shot by uh, Paul Pelletieri and Sean uh, Parsons and Rod Reese, of course. The fight continues on. Aquaman and the Dead King uh, end up uh, falling into this pit of lava underneath the ground. There's this immense conflagration, tough word to say. Uh, (laughs) The heat is so intense that the Dead King actually just melts into a giant pile of goo. Uh, <laughs> standing outside the flame, Mira, Mira and Volko don't know whether Aquaman has survived, but of course he has. He emerges triumphant. He grabs his trident, hugs Mira, and all of Atlantis sort of bows before him, including, I think, Merc. Yay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we see Nerys take off. Uh, we don't know where he's going for the moment. We see then Aquaman and Mira discuss the fact of what they're going to do next. Aquaman says he needs to return to Atlantis and be the king that the they deserve. Mira doesn't want to do this. She thinks you're never going to be happy being king of Atlantis, but he says it's basically, this is what I got to do. She says, I can't join you, and leaves leaves him. Uh, we then come over to Amnesty Bay, obviously a little time later. We see Mira with Salty the Aqua Dog, yay. And, uh, and he is, hey, hey, for the record, he is name-checked for the first time. That's right. right there. That's right. Jenny, the waitress that we saw, not the waitress, the uh, like store clerk that we saw in Aquaman number six, has been the one who is minding Salty all this time. And she says, you know, Mira, basically, I'm, I'd be willing to dog sit for him anytime you want to uh, leave town. And we see a sort of sad shot of Mira contemplating something. We see Aquaman on his throne looking all kind of sad and lonely. And then Mira shows up. 
Mira shows up unexpectedly. She holds his hand, joins him on the throne, and her only request is shave the beard. Yeah. Mm. In fact, it's the only thing she says. It's the only thing she says. The story ends with a nice two-page two uh, shot of Aquaman and Mira, Aquaman Sans beard, and all of his finny friends floating through the sea looking very happy. We think that's the end, but it's not. There is a little postscript. Back up on the surface world, we see that Orm, when last we saw him in uh, Villain's Month, has taken up with uh, that woman, uh, for what Aaron, the woman that he rescued in his solo book. They're talking about maybe they're going to stay together or something. All of a sudden, Nerys shows up, smashes in, and he comes in. He says, I offer my loyalty and my knowledge. I told the Dead King I couldn't find the Seven Seas, but I lied. Now you and I must take our place among the others. The Seven Kings will rule this planet once more. And that's to be concluded in the epic Justice League story event, Rise of the Seven Seas. So thank God we got another what? event coming. Yeah. Another story event. Yay. Um, but it sounds like it's going to be in Justice League. It is not an Aquaman. League. Right, right, right. So does that mean the boys draw Aquaman again? Well, they well, yeah. I mean, Aquaman. But yeah. I mean, a huge Aquacentric story. Though, I, I get. Mean. You know, we don't know. I guess we don't. We don't know just yet. Um, okay. Overall, I will get out of my my one complaint with this issue. I'll get it out of the way first because most of it I really, really love. My major complaint is Aquaman and Mira are stuck in Atlantis. I really wish that John was not obsessed with getting them back in Atlantis. I don't want to see them ruling Atlantis. And I would be perfectly okay with if on page one of Aquaman number 26, Jeff Parker has Aquaman say to Mira, hey, Mira, you know that whole thing about Atlantis? I was kidding. Let's go back to Amnesty Bay. She goes, yeah, you're right, Arthur. (laughs) Screw this town and leaves. I would be perfectly okay with that. So other than that, which, of course, Jeff Parker can sort of undo if he wants to, um, I really did like this issue. It's tons of action. Paul Pelletier gets a couple of really nice places to shine. There's a couple of uh, full-page shots that are really quite beautiful. And, you know, Aquaman and Mira together again. You know, I mean, this... Jeff Johns needed to leave Aquaman and Mira in a place where Jeff Barker could pick it up and run with it. And he did that. He got them both together. They're happy. You know, let's move... Great. So I was very satisfied with this issue. Um, and, you know, sort of pulling back a little in a larger sense, uh, and I mentioned this on the Shrine when I do the review um, of the issue, I really can't think of a single creator that has done more for Aquaman than Jeff Johns. I really can't. Even in terms of where the character was when this particular creator got him and where this particular creator left him. I can't think of anybody that has done more than Jeff Johns, even more than Steve Skates, Jim Aparo, Nick Cardi. Uh, when Jeff Johns took over Aquaman, he was at the lowest ebb probably he's ever been. He was dead. He was literally a dead character. And Johns was the one who had the fanboy uh, desire and the industry heft to be able to say to DC, I'm going to take this character and do something with him. And he did. He did. And he single-handedly practically turned Mira from a C-list character to an A-list character. Um, and so, you know, overall, I am thrilled as can be with what Jeff Johns did for this character. I, 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 you know, we'll never, like, us Aquaman fans will never be able to fully, like, repay what he did because he has turned Aquaman back to this A-list character. And, you know, he said... I'm ready now for Jeff, Jeff Parker to take over. Um, I've already conducted my interview with Jeff. 
about what, mm. he, what he planned that's going to appear on the Shrine shortly. Um, it's a brief interview, sort of like an intro, um, and we're going to talk a little bit later on after number 26 comes out. But um, I've read Jeff's answers, and I like what I'm hearing. I, I like what I'm hearing about what Jeff wants to do. And so I'm super excited. So, you know, this is this was great. I was very satisfied with this issue, and, uh, I, you know, I'm real happy, real happy with it. I think I, I want to echo everything you said about Jeff. I mean, I, I think Peter David did quite a bit as well. He did. But in, in the modern era, though, there's no doubt that he took, like you said, the guy that was dead. He was de- he literally was body, his body was death. disseminated across the seven seas. Yeah, he I mean, took him from uh, a very, very low-selling comic book and dead, you know, which led to being dead, um, and then turned it around to this. Yep. So incredibly impressive, and as as an aquanaut, I'm I sincerely appreciate it. Uh, the issue itself, I thought was very good. There's I got some, you know, I have some nitpicky things, but it's probably not even worth mentioning because it just takes away. It seems you know petty, really. The, the my nitpicky stuff seems petty uh, compared to you know what this rep, reps up and means. I am I am a little miffed that they're in Atlantis. Yep. Um, yep. Because I really feel like that would be the perfect ending if the character was going on the shelf. Like, if, if this was a final issue, and you knew you were putting it, like Firestorm ended by basically putting him on the shelf by saying, ah, he's in the JLA. You know, that worked. Here, it's like, if you're going to put Aquaman on a shelf, yes, you make him the king of Atlantis. That's where he should be when he's on the shelf. But for ongoing storyline writing, you know, hopefully Jeff Parker will find some way to make him being king of Atlantis still work and be compelling. I thought it was, uh, actually, I was really excited by the epilogue. Um, totally didn't see that coming. And, uh... I, it's funny, nearest, all I can think of, I, seriously, is Niles Crane's wife from Frasier, when I hear his name. Okay. But, uh, that, but I got really excited about the whole, that, that the other seven C's are out there. Because, you know, we got that sneak peek image again. Um, this time, it was like an echo of it. You saw the fisherman-looking dude. Remember? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. So, I mean, I, that's, you know, I want to know more about, about that. So, I was really glad to hear that that storyline's not over. That made me happy. So, it'd be interesting to see if that's a cross server or just solely in JLA or whatever or Justice League Justice League Canada um, yeah. um, I, don't know, I mean should we get into the page by page no, or no I don't think there's any need to everybody here who's listening has probably already read it I mean I think there are individual sequences that are great the stuff with the trench I thought the way, the way that was staged was really well where the trench are approaching and we see it from their point of view as they get closer and closer to Aquaman and the first panel he goes stop and then he goes I said stop and then the book cuts to black, which is a great, you know, kind of creepy little, okay, did they do what he said they're supposed to be doing? Because uh, they are a bunch of crazy monster fish. Right. So, um, so that's really well done. Um, uh, you know, like I said, the stuff with Mira was really good. The, the, the action sequences are really great. It said Pelletier is getting better and better. I don't mean I don't mean that as like a backhanded compliment, like he wasn't good when he started. But I think he's getting better and better with every issue. And, uh, you know... Uh, his facial expressions something really, really nice. The action stuff is really, really good. Uh, I hate saying really so many times. but uh, And then that full-page shot of him jet grabbing the scepter out from the Dead King just as he's about to lower it into Atlantis is beautiful. It, to me, visually, it reminds me of when Aquaman jammed his trident through that parademon's face in Justice League number four. And right. It has that sort of visual memory to it. Uh, like I said, I really... I, I feel like the more we talk about it, the more you're going to want to try and just by nature going to want to find something to, to, to pick at because it's just we're looking for something to talk about. To me, there's not much to say. It concluded really well. And like I said, I'm just so appreciative of what Jeff Johns 
has done for this character. It, re- it just, uh, you know, uh, I mean, it, it, like in the in the comment in the feedback uh, for Who's Who when uh, Frank has been taking us to task for picking on Wonder Woman and saying, you know, <laughs> maybe you know that I, that I've lost my touch. I forget what it's like to have a character you know frequently canceled and sort of maligned. I don't. I totally don't. <laughs> I totally do not forget that. Um, I mean, there's an article going around in Variety, for God's sakes, talking about Aquaman. Variety. Really? Really? Yeah. About how DC wants to make Aquaman one of their big, big tier characters. Now, you could argue maybe taking him out of their animated movies is not the way to do it. But that's a side thing. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, that's just... There's the, there's the bitchy fanboy. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it just seems like a kind of a counterproductive way. But, nevertheless... Um, said i was really happy with this i was really happy like i said it, I'm, i don't want him in atlantis but we can fix all that in a couple of issues and you know if jeff parker's run is you know does very well sales wise and, and stays consistent it's it's not it's certainly going to dip down under jeff johns there's no way it's not going to but as long as it stays in the ballpark uh mm-hmm. they let jeff parker do what he wants to do and you know i hope that that in, in, includes you know taking them back to Amnesty Bay. But even if it doesn't, they're together. More than anything else, I wanted Aquaman and Mira back together, going off and hopefully having adventures and being happy. And this is, seems like where okay. we're being let off. You do remember what the cover of Jeff Parker's first issue is, right? Yeah, I know, but that's the cover. It's Mira swimming away from Aquaman. I know, but the covers, I mean, but that's the covers are always not necessarily what representative of the inside of the book, so it's okay. Fair and like, and, and, and as you mentioned, Salty gets name-checked for officially, in this book. Yeah. And so thanks to the Aquaman Shrine and uh, Unbelievable. the Legion of Fans. Yes, yes. So <laughs> I was actually watching for that very closely in that scene. I'm like, oh, they're going to say his name? Because, you know, he's, he's been in the, in the animal book, but that's not, you know, the real comic. Right, so I'm right, like, is, right. is it there? Oh, it's there! There you go. So we, the Aquaman Shrine has added something to the official corpus of, the, of Aquaman. So I'm very proud yep. to say that. <laughs> Congratulations, sir. It was, you know, it was everybody else. I, I just put up the contest. It was actually, I guess she's not listening to this, but I'll give it. Her name was Simone Malarkey was the one who actually submitted that name, and that was the name that got the most votes. So What a so, bunch of Malarkey. Yeah, exactly. I knew you were going to say that. So thanks to Simone. She was the one who pitched that idea. So, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, didn't, the con- didn't the idea for the contest come out of one of our discussions? I don't remember. I think so. That sounds about right. <laughs> it did. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm just going to take credit for it. Okay. But anyway. So anyway, yeah, Aquaman, <laughs> number, Aquaman number 25, a great, a great, nice end to Jeff Johns' run on Aquaman the book, let's say. Not necessarily Aquaman the character, but Aquaman yep. the book. Uh, he did a tremendous, tremendous thing for this character. And, you know, he is now on the list alongside Steve Skates and Paul Norris and Jim Aparo and Peter David. And that's a pretty good, pretty good list to be on. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've always said he's he's gotten Aquaman has been fortunate enough to have amazing creative folks behind it over yep. the year. Just bam, one after another. Absolutely, so, absolutely. Uh, yep. so. All right. Well, that's it. That's going to finish up the first half of the show. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the Fury of Firestorm classic number five. <laughs> I love the way you you say classic. It's fun to say. <laughs> I like saying it. So, all right. Join us in a minute. See you on the other side. más remotas galaxias acuden a una cita los más siniestros villanos de todos los tiempos la legión del mal dedicados a un solo objetivo la conquista del universo 
Solo hay un grupo que pueda retar a esta pandilla intergaláctica. ¡Los Super Amigos! And welcome back, my super amigos, for the second half of the Fire and Water podcast. I love that thing. Oh my gosh, that is so brilliant. Uh, right now, we are going to talk about the Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, classic number five. That was my, my mocking Philadelphia accent, by the way. So, uh, this is, as I said, issue number five, 60 cents on the cover, folks. Cover dated October. 1982, but if you're in the stores in your DeLorean looking for comics or the TARDIS, you want to be on July 1st, 1982. Hit your comic shops on July 1st, 1982, you time travelers. All right. This joint. <laughs> trivial use of technology. <laughs> time traveling? To buy old comic books from 1982? Yeah, pretty trivial. Hell yeah, man. My pages are kind of yellow. I want white, pristine pages. Go back and buy Action Number 1, not Fury of Firestorm Number (sighs) 5. Who wants that? I mean, really? Or Detective 27. Yawn. We've all read it. (laughs) All right. Uh, um, This is a Jerry Conway, Pat Broderick joint, uh, inking by Roden Rodriguez, (laughs) (laughs) lettering uh, Phil Felix. Uh, I don't think I've seen his name very much. Uh, Gene Dion and... Angelo on colors as always, and Len Wein as the editor. So uh, the last few, this is a little different than previous issues. Um, the last four issues, uh, when during the reviews, I was able to say for each one of them that you know from a ten thousand foot level, this is what the story was about. Really, this one's not so much. This one's more of a sort of a straightforward first half of an adventure. I mean, there's certainly subplots in there and stuff, and I'll touch on them as we go, but it's not like, you know, issue number three was about a young man, Ronnie Raymond, and his struggles to control his life, you know, being contrasted with Killer Frost rising in power. I mean, that was just, that was what the core, what that was. This is a little more just fun superhero stuff, which is nice. I kind of like it. So you got this great cover of Firestorm being attacked by almost this like zombieified crowd, not dead zombie, but just a uh, hypnotized Yeah, uh, mind control zombie. There we go. Um, and it says, the mad music of the Pied Piper versus the Fury of Firestorm and the Nuclear Man. And in the background, you get sort of a, almost a serpent uh, type <laughs> image of Pied Piper playing his pipes. And he looks very stern at Firestorm. And Firestorm's got that horrific, like, ah, face. It's, uh, I love this. It's, I really, I love when they do, uh, the, I always call it the act, act of, acts of vengeance move. And Michael Bailey probably knows what I'm talking about when I say that. Where they take villains from other characters and match them up. You know, Pied Piper is clearly a Flash villain. I mean, right. Flash owns that character. So to pair up Firestorm against Pied Piper is kind of a nice mix and match. So uh, I call it Acts of Vengeance because that was a Marvel crossover thing where they mix and match the villains. But I, I just think that's a, it's a nice mixing. It's, it's kind of exciting to see that. You know, it's, it'd be like, um, you know, no, there's, anyway, I can come up with a million examples, but there's, it's fun. Like, you know, Firestorm fought Darkseid one time. Like, oh, crazy. So uh, going to give you a real brief recap. 
recap, it opens with sort of a, uh, a micro scene, if you will. So almost like, remember, um, Star Trek in a Darkness started off with the, its own separate scene with the volcano and all that. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like that. You get your own mini scene. It's these kids who are riding on the roof of a, uh, an elevated train and they're <laughs> Absolutely. holding on for, it's but, terrifying. <laughs> and they look, they look terrified. Ah, Joey, you know, and thankfully Firestorm flies by first to sort of give them a hard time. Then eventually he saves them. Um, <laughs> one kid flies off. Looks like he's plummeting to his death, but Firestorm uses his transmutation powers to catch him in a net. The other kid, he, and he sort of like gives the kid a hard time. And then, uh, in the end he rescues him. Truthfully, these kids, Hopped on this train with with spray paint. They were going to tag it. You know that's why they're there. And uh, so thankfully, Firestorm saves them. They have a couple of wacky hijinks with the kids. And then he has some sort of introspective moment where he's up in the clouds talking to Professor Stein about whether he should try and date. What what, what was the um, what's the ethics behind him dating another girl? Essentially, is what, what it is. Because Lorraine lot La- 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 Blah, 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 blah. Tongue twister there. Lorraine Riley has expressed an interest in Firestorm. And he and Doreen are technically broken up right now, so he's trying to figure out if that's okay or not. And the funniest bit about this is Professor Stein is sort of like, you know, not into it, but then Professor, once Ronnie explains that, you know, Professor Stein, she's into Firestorm, not just me, she's into both, both of us. So that kind of makes the Professor think about that a little bit more. Then we get some scenes where. Ronnie is dealing with his high school hard uh, hard life right now. As we've talked about in previous episodes, he's having a hard time right now. The basketball coach is really giving him a hard time. Basically says, you know, you're benched, and if you miss any more practices, you're off the team completely. And then, you know, that's something Ronnie, Ronnie, basketball is important to him. So he's trying to figure that out. Meanwhile, we see Senator Riley, which is Lorraine's dad, buying a ancient set of bagpipes. Uh, not bagpipes. Um, pan flute. Pan flute? Is that what you call it? I think so. Help me out here, brother. Sam Fear, master of the pan flutes. Yes, it's the pan flute. Okay. And uh, he's buying it from this old sort of short, stubby uh, sailor who's, who's got it in his collection. So, And this is um, – they say specifically whose pipes these are, and I'm not finding it at the moment. Okay. But it, watching all of this, Pied Piper is watching this whole transaction of Senator Riley buying these pan uh, this pan flute – and these pipes, as he calls them, and he desperately wants them. So he has uh, plans to buy, because he says these, these are the most important pipes in history, and he's tracked them across the world, so he intends on stealing them. Then we get a bit with uh, Harry Carew. Uh, he's the official D-bag of Concourse Research, and he is listening to a tape that Professor Stein purposefully erased a few issues ago, and he's trying to reconstruct the audio. He's trying to, ultimately, what he's going to find out, if he listens to it, is that Professor Stein is actually Firestorm, so we'll have to wait and see if that happens. Thankfully, Professor Stein interrupts him and invites him to dinner, which is sort of ironic, considering Harry's trying to really throw um, Professor Stein under the bus. What a jerk. Uh, While all this is going on, the Pied Piper attacks the Riley mansion. He goes into the back door, gets in, confronts the, the senator, gets the pipes. Lorraine overhears some of this commotion going on. And uh, what what, what Pipe Piper's doing is using hypnotic music from his, his existing flute to control people. So Lorraine, smart girl, this one, throws on a set of headphones. These must be those big 1980s ones that really block out all the exterior noise. <laughs> she runs in there and grabs a flower pot and sm- tries to sm- smash it on the Pied Piper. But instead he blasts her. So it's a it's a fight going on, you know. The dad shakes off the control a little bit. Anyway, what you find out is that these are the lost legendary pipes of Pan. 
Yes, the god Pan. That's crazy. So Pied Piper now has them as possession. Ronnie Raymond decides that he definitely wants to hook up. It's sort of a weird moment here. Ronnie's been taking a shower, and he's thinking about Lorraine. Where that could go, I don't know. <laughs> but he decides he then wants to go on a date with Lorraine right then and there. So he transforms into Firestorm while he's in the shower. Uh, Professor Stein is interrupted with his dinner with D-Bag, and so the <laughs> Ronnie decides to fly off. And this is, I'm sorry, I spoke a little bit ahead. This is the one, this is the moment actually where he just Professor Stein, you know, Lorraine's not just into Ronnie, she's into Fresh Firestorm. That means she's into you too. Professor Stein is totally taken aback by this. And he's trying to figure out how to feel about this. And clearly he's being a little dirty old man, like, huh, this might not be so bad. It's just weird. I mean, really, like, when they kiss and stuff, what's that about? Like, like, you know, is Professor turn his astral body away, maybe? He says he does. Yeah, so, is that, is that how it's like? Okay. So the Pied Piper, uh, on, on, Ronnie's on his way to see Lorraine. Well, we know where Lorraine is, right? She's at home with her dad, and the Pied Piper, this is going to be a problem. So Firestorm's flying that way, and sure enough, the Pied Piper is playing the pan flute of pan, and he has gotten a whole, a whole crowd of people has filled the streets, and they've got that sort of mind-controlled, blank-eyed look. And Ronnie has to save several people by turning a truck um, immaterial so it passes through everybody because the driver has also uh, been zombified. And in the end, um, Pied Piper blasts Firestorm with the, some sort of physical attack, or maybe it's a mental attack, I'm not quite sure, but it, it hits it, Ronnie really hard. Firestorm starts falling, and he ends up falling into the crowd, and they start beating him up. Meanwhile, um, Pied Piper is just playing the flutes like crazy, and that's how it ends on that huge dramatic moment with Firestorm being beaten up by the crowd and Pied Piper looking to the sky playing his flutes. Pretty dramatic. Uh, you got lots of different scenes, lots of stuff going on, as always. Uh, you get 23 pages of action. What did you think of this? Uh, it was fun. I mean, the Pied Piper, to me, is really one of the <laughs> weaker villains in the DC universe. Um, I'll be interested to see if... I don't believe that he is drawn by Murphy Anderson and Who's Who in his Who's Who listing. But mm. considering he has those little pointy-toed boots, it's perfect for Murphy <laughs> Anderson. I think, but I think he's drawn by somebody else. Probably uh, Carmen Infantino. I think it's probably Carmen Infantino, yeah. Um, I like the little details uh, overall. I mean, I, I thought it was interesting that Conway changed it up, that pretty much we've been meeting new villains every issue. And then with this one, or not new villains, but, you know, like Firestorm villains. Yeah. And then with this one, he decides, you know, no, no, let's bring somebody from another, you know, another, another character and, mm-hmm. and bring it in, which is, you know, drags fires, not drags, but, you know, gets Firestorm involved more into the DCU. Although, of course, he was with Justice League last issue. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I find Pied Piper so ridiculous a villain. Seriously. <laughs> um, I did notice it was kind of funny on page 19. There's the shot of the crowd looking all yeah. zombified. There's a kid in the background with a Batman T-shirt on. Yeah, I noticed that. That was pretty ahead of its time for Pat Broderick for, to do because this is oh. this is seven years before the Batman movie. That's a when, good point. That's when you saw Batman T-shirts all the time, but 1982, you still didn't see that that much. You maybe know? he's wearing his underoos. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. So, well, he shouldn't be outside in his underoos. But uh, I just that just jumped <laughs> out at me. I was like, wow, that's a kid in a, in a Batman T-shirt. And um, also, Broderick's research in terms of um, placing Firestorm in New York City. Is, yeah. is always pays off. And that sequence with Firestorm, uh, Firestorm, Martin Stein is having uh, lunch with Harry. Um, yeah. That that restaurant that they're at, it's a real restaurant. 
in New York. That's really? A, that's a real place. I don't know the name of it offhand, but that's a, I recognize the architecture. That, How that, funny. That's, that's a real place. So, I mean, you know, that's great. That's a great little detail that, that just gives, again, gives Firestorm the whole feeling of verisimilitude that it's, you know, this is a real place. This is a real – he's in real New York City in 1982, which is – I. I Enjoy quite thoroughly. That's uh, uh, that's that's an impressive amount of work pre Google. That's an impressive yeah. amount of yeah. work to do. Well, I've heard articles about how artists back then would just have you know those those I don't know what they call them, but they're, they're essentially well, uh, yeah, but there'd be like filing cabinets, but yeah. they're like little tiny drawer filing cabinets, and they'd just be filled with photographs, filled that's with photographs. We, they call them swipe files. That's what I was. Oh, oh, that's what they called it. Oh, yeah. okay. Yep, yep. That's what, that's what I called them when I had them. <laughs> gotcha. Swipe files. Gotcha. Well, I want to start from the beginning here real quick. Um, the, just the very first page alone, I love that shot of Firestorm in the back. It's a background shot, but the detail is there, the, the heroic, the motion, everything is there. That is a beautiful little tiny shot of Firestorm up there above the elevated train. Mm-hmm. Just love it so much. And I love all the detail that Broderick did on the train. He did all the spray-painted uh, graffiti. Yep. And you got to wonder, like, okay, this is Tom and Gene. Clearly, that's somebody he probably knows. Yeah, there's got to be a lot of in-jokes here. Yeah. yeah, so I thought, you know, Bill was here in 64. The fandom zone, I wonder, was that, you know, uh, was that a fanzine back then, maybe? I don't know. So I just thought a lot of that was really cute. Uh, I love this little mini scene. This little mini scene is just fantastic because uh, I, I do like when, and I'm sure there's a writing story for words for all this stuff. Stuff, but I'm not that smart. But like having a little mini scene in the beginning that's separate from the rest of the book, but still gives you action right away. I mean, you get right to the action immediately. Something exciting is happening, and yet it doesn't affect the rest of the story. It's just a little. It's almost like a little mini episode, a three-page mini episode for Firestorm. Yeah, the James Bond movies um, had all those. Yeah, there you go. It's it's a teaser. Yeah, there it is. It's yeah. a, it's a teaser, and it's nice. I love the close-up on the kid's eyes and the tears welling up in his eyes as he really he thinks he's about to die in the elevated train. You know, it's just super fun. Super fun. And also, it, it, you know, you got to see the transmutation. You don't see Ronnie uses transmutation a, a lot. So seeing uh, them do the net and turning into just a big rubber net, I just love that stuff. The, tra- the transmutation scenes are probably my favorites. So you see something that's sort of become a, a common thing in these early Firestorm issues is Firestorm sitting on clouds, which always cracks me up because clearly they're completely immaterial. And you can't really see a cloud when you're in a cloud, but you just see white but to see Firestorm sitting in the closet, I think this is the third time we've seen it in the series, and it's only the fifth issue. I like that that sort of became a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, Ronnie's angst is great. Um, Doreen is there. She's with Cliff. They deserve each other. Uh, I didn't mention that in my recap, but it appears that Ronnie, uh, that Doreen and Cliff are together, and hopefully he will murder her or in her sleep, and that will be the end of that. <laughs> Senator Riley cracks me up. He's just, like, he's clearly just a foil, or a t- not a foil, but just a tool to introduce things into the series right now, because, you know, he's the reason we had the Black Bison stuff. He's the reason we've got the Pied Piper. It's just like, okay, th- that's going to be the gimmick. You know, <laughs> that's going to be the setup. Every couple issues, Riley's going to get his hands on something, and that's going to cause the story to unfold. And that, I'm fine with that. I love that. I love formula. Formula cracks me up, so I think it's fun. There's a nice splash page here, too, I was going to say. There's also some really nice lighting that they do. If you look on page uh, 11 and 12, when the butler's being possessed by the music, mm-hmm. and then when Senator Riley is, is being possessed by the music, the lighting in that is really cool. They're, like, they're almost bleached out. Uh, I don't know if you see the pages I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah, I have it in front of me, yeah. It's really well done. I don't, it looks like that's probably a combination of Gene D'Angelo and... 
Broderick together right. to, to make that look, and it just came off really sharp. Uh, um, by the way, I was going to mention, you know, you said this is a deviation by having Pied Piper in it. You know, it's kind of, if you think about it, though, if you're going to pull any villains in for for Firestorm, making it a Flash villain sort of makes sense because Flash and Firestorm are pretty closely tied because Firestorm was in the backup strips. Right, right. So it's almost like, hey, there's already a connection to Flash. If I bring a Flash villain in, it'll feel a little more organic and might help, you know, the cross-selling of the books. Right, and in JLA 192-93, Flash and Firestorm had that argument with each other. It was like a nice you really one. want to bring that up again? I do. I love that scene. Uh, I still don't agree with that. It's still a bunch of hooey. <laughs> anyway, uh, page 16 is that big – you get a full-page splash page of Firestorm just woof-a-zam, and he's flying out. It looks so incredibly heroic until you read the dialogue and you realize, you realize the whole reason he's transformed is simply because he wants to go see Lorraine, uh, which really pissed off Professor Stein, which is great. You know, I started that segment in the first episode. I never did again where I was going to count all of uh, Professor Stein's exclamation points. <laughs> I should go back to that because he's got a lot of them in this stuff. <laughs> there, I love the, the zombified New Yorkers or the mentally controlled New Yorkers. They, they just, uh, they're so cool looking with their red or they white eyes. Sorry, they're with their white eyes and they just look great. I absolutely love it. Now, I got a thing about the truck. The truck that he turns immaterial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not really one of Firestorm's powers. What, turning something immaterial? He can turn himself in material. Right. Well, and he can transmute stuff. Well, he's transmuting its molecules into some other form of molecules. Okay. Right? Then it wouldn't keep the shape of the truck. What? No, that's true. Well, yeah. All right. That's true. Any scientists out there that can verify that? <laughs> or Firestorm has a new power that he only used once. <laughs> Maybe that's it. So You know, he, uh, Jerry Conway's the creator. I'd say he can. He's allowed to do that. He's allowed to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. So just two last things. Uh, uh, I like on page I got, actually you got to go back, back for this, sorry. Uh, page 17. There's just I just love the shots of Firestorm flying. There's just one shot. It's, it's actually three it's a three panel page. Firestorm flying through the clouds, then he's coming down and then he's flying through over a city street. Do you see the panel on the bottom right, the one over the city street? Mm-hmm. Where he's zooming and his and his legs are just kind of blurred on the lines. Yep. Absolutely love the, that little shot of him flying. I don't know why. It's just like when I see that, I'm like, that's Firestorm. That is a great shot of Firestorm flying, and that's what it should be. And it's just that one – the one that's one little panel just makes me so happy. Right. Well, one of the things Broderick knew how to do is uh, in terms of composing his pages is give the reader some sort of you know relief because most of these panel – most of these pages are very busy. There's a lot of figures, a lot of detail – uh, some, pan- some some pages have multiple figures in every panel, but then this this page you're talking about number seventeen, the final panel mm-hmm. is very detailed with the buildings and there's people and it. But then the panel right before it is total white. It's just Firestorm. Yeah. So it's a nice way to give the eye a little bit of of a, of a break visually. That you you know it's like oh, okay, it's a nice open panel. There's just Firestorm, and then there's other panels are very highly detailed. And that's a, that's a, somebody that really knows how to compose pages well, as opposed to. You know, it's kind of like how a lot of modern comics, or especially in, in the early 2000s, where they started realizing they could do Photoshop color in comics. Yeah. And, like, everyone was, like, rendering every muscle with 20 shades of color. And it's like, <laughs> you don't need that. The, 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 you know, the eye can't stand all that. Sometimes it's good to have something flat and simple. And so some of these, you know, that sequence specifically is a very open page. It's a lot of white, and then you get the last panel, which is very detailed. And that's, you know, again, that's a guy that knows what he's doing. See, that's why it pays to have an artist on the show. Pays? Never would have, never would have picked up on I'm that. I'm not getting any money for this. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Final thing I was going to mention was just that uh, he also one thing you look at this the storyline, it is actually following the, mo- the the model we've seen so far. The first issue and second issue was well in two page story. I'm sorry, two issue stories is what I'm getting to. You know, the first two issues is Black Bison, second two issues were Killer Frost. The next two issues are um, Pipe Piper. So you know, it's still continuing that model of two issue arcs. Now that will break pretty soon. Um, in fact, I think uh, Plastique's a one issue, then Hyena's a three issue, so he gets them mixing it up. But for the for the most part, at least at this point, it's been two issue storylines, uh, which has been nice. It's you know you, you get in, you get out fairly quick, but it gives you a good cliffhanger. Like I love this cliffhanger. This cliffhanger is so good, and Pied Piper looks so into his music right now. You see, it just well, there's a reason for that, and we'll find out next issue. Well, he's well, he's using Pan's flute. Pan's flute is using him. <gasps> dun, 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 dun. We continue next issue in the Pandroikus ploy. Can't wait. Good stuff, folks. We've said it before. This series is not collected, but you can get it very cheaply. Um, look on online. I always mention my high comics simply because I like them. There's a number of other services out there. Find these old issues of Firestorm. They're a blast. Uh, it really is. I think you'll find your joy in them. They're fun comics. They're just fun, light, you know, superhero comics. A lot of people compare them to Spider-Man because you've got the teenage angst. You've got the hero who's never seems to get it right, but he loves what he's doing. Um, it's great stuff. Absolutely wonderful. Can't wait to do next issue because he gets crazy up in here. All right. Uh, well, folks, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast. We're still uh, you know, coming down off this um, tryptophan high, so we're going to have to cut it short, I think, this time. And uh, next week what do we have on tap i have no Anything? idea <laughs> i have no idea what we have on tap i will mention awesome. uh, i do i will mention this just in case uh if any of you out there listening to this who are of a more po- or a podcast bent in terms of recording recording them not just listening if any of you out there are really big fans really big fans of the movie white christmas the movie from 1954 uh, shoot me an email at firewaterpodcast at comcast.net and i will talk to you why i'm making such a request. And I think I'm going to have to lie and shoot him an email just so I can find out what the heck he's talking about. <laughs> uh, something else I wanted to mention, too, just as we wrap up. Um, the sting uh, that's come. Normally, I don't like to tip what the sting is, but I just wanted to mention uh, the sting comes from an audio commentary that Jeff Johns and Mark Wade did for Challenge of the Super Friends, where they, oh. where they talk about Aquaman, and I felt like it was the only appropriate sting for this particular episode because we're talking about Aquaman number 25. And then it occurred to me, once I had that idea, that I don't have those DVDs. I, no. used, I used to, but I don't anymore, and there was no way for me to get the clip. So I sent out a word on my Facebook page and said, hey, does any of you guys out there have those DVDs? And within the space of 10 minutes, I got emails from John Trumbull, Sean Myers, Bill Zanowitz, Butch Rosenbaum, Andrew Luckett, Aaron Bias, Michael Bailey, and Randy Meyer all offering their <laughs> services. So um, at the point of this recording, I'm not even sure which version I'm going to use because I got sent a bunch of them. But I want to thank all those guys for stepping up because that was amazing that I just put that kind of goofy, weird request out. And so many of you stepped up to the plate. So thanks, guys. I appreciate it because this was exactly the way I wanted to end the show. And, and I wouldn't be able to if not for you guys. The Fire and Water Pie has the single best listening community of any podcast in the cosmos. Mm-hmm. It's a fact. Yep. All right, folks. Well, uh, Rob, tell them where to find you. Uh, well, we also want to mention the Tumblr, fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. 
And like I said, you can email us at firewaterpodcast.net. You can find Aquaman Shrine at aquamanshrine.net. Uh, also on Facebook and Twitter. And also, a little thing, I want to throw a, another thank you out to Quint from Ain't It Cool News, who actually plugged Hey Kids Comics on his holiday gift guide to 2013, uh, which has uh, really been quite beneficial to me in terms of sales. So thanks, Quint. That was a really nice plug you gave me. I really appreciate it. How cool is that? That's yes, awesome. I was very shocked. My, a friend of mine said, hey, man, congrats getting on that list. I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't know what you were talking about. <laughs> so yeah, he did a he, he did a large book list. There's a lot of great books on there, but there's Hey Kids right in the middle of it, and uh, it, we have already benefited from that plug. So thanks, it really it's fantastic, awesome. Well, you can find me at firestormfan.com, also on Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus, Tumblr, and Instagram, all under the same handle. And you can find us here next week. So, folks, uh, until then, fan the flame and ride the wave. Bye. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm Fighting crime together Soaking down or burn them up No one does it better Whenever you find trouble They'll always be there To catch them in a bubble Or even torch their hair Stand for truth and justice And see on land and air Firestorm and Aquaman They make a super pair Aquaman Super friends forever. Yeah. Aquaman, who hasn't done much in these Sadly, no. Again, like you said, like kind of kind of a come down, like you said. He was yeah. he was he was a star for a long time. He was the big player in the Super Friends, and yeah. then when all these other guys came along, he was more. You know, he's not as visually interesting as the other guys. There's only so much you can do with Aquaman. Speaking as a, a Justice League writer, and you've written the Justice League too. There's only so much you can do with Aquaman. Yeah. But when he shines, he really he shines. Does. I love Aquaman. Yeah. Oh, yeah.